Tribune podcast. Questions and answers session number three. Disengage metallic voice. <laughs> well, in this session, we are going to answer a very simple, very radical question that I distilled from the series of questions and comments by one Predrag Petric. Uh, some of them are in uh, Serbian, so I would have to translate all of it in English so the others can understand. And, uh, I think it's better to simplify it. And this is what uh, Predrag asks. The main question, is the soul, or alternatively, a a person existent. Does soul exist? Does person exist? Now, to clarify why he asks this and what it means, uh, we'll just pose the syllogism <clears throat> that brought him to this question. First premise. Person, if it is, or if he is, or soul, has to be a substance. Second premise. There is, however, only one substance. Third, soul, therefore, is not a substance, for obvious reasons, because there are many souls, many persons, not one soul or one person. Now, this main question, uh, that is a form of philosophical questions I don't really like, and I'll explain why, although I don't hold it against Predrag to ask it. Uh, it, it, is some, it is a kind of beginner's question in philosophy that, that is radical uh, in a sense, logically radical, has a ro logically radical conclusion because one doesn't see nuances of the problem he's faced with. And we'll try to bring that nuances uh, forward. Now, there are two secondary questions that come from this, and will make that will bring meat to the bones of, of, of this issue. One secondary question is: if there is only one substance, and I'll explain very soon why someone can even claim something like this. Uh, can there be anything beside it? And the second secondary question is, are Hume, Spinoza and Kant right? Because Predrag uh, bases his argument on uh, the philosophical insights of these three philosophers, uh, but above all of them Kant. And we'll hold on to this and we'll get back to this. We'll get back to Kant to explain why why this is the issue. Because this is the issue, although it is formulated here in a very simple manner that is quite deceptful. Because if you have a simple question, uh, you tend to believe that there is a simple answer to it, but nothing can be further from the truth. Now, we'll, we'll start from something quite mundane and everyday, uh, something that is present in our day and age, very much so, from science fiction. Uh, we'll take a science fiction trope that is nevertheless part of not-so-science-fiction ideology called post-humanism. Uh, but it comes from the science fiction literary genre that is arguably uh, brought forward mostly by William Gibson, a Canadian writer, novelist, and writer of short stories called Cyberpunks. Cyberpunk. 
There is an idea in cyberpunk that a lot of scientists who are supposedly not doing science fiction but hard for science except for some reason, that it is possible to uh, copy a person to a media. That is to say, as it goes in science fiction, uh, somebody kills you but or you die but your consciousness has been copied to... Uh, hopefully SSD drive, but those times it was mostly hard drive. It would be quite a slow consciousness if that was the case. Or, God forbid, on floppy disk. And uh, for some reason, and in some way, you are living forever now. That is to say, you have a chance of another life. And this is other you that is at the same time the same you that you were before. And the complex philosophical question that they then ask is, how is this possible? My very short answer to begin with is that it is not possible at all. It is not even conceivable. But that's what we get in science fiction, because science fiction is based on imagination, whereas modern science, to a, to a large extent, is built on synthetic imagination that is not uh, arbitrary or frivolous. It is like mathematical imagination that has very strict rules, but has very strange relationship to reality. Now... Why do I say that this is impossible and that this is a science fiction trope that can have no relation to reality? Because it is very pertinent to Predrag's question. When I say, <clears throat> for instance, <coughs> excuse me, uh, that my consciousness can be uploaded to hopefully SSD drive on the cloud or whatever, uh, what is the being and status of my, of this having? Can we ask this question? So, for instance, you have one Branco uh, recording this, you have another Branco copied to hard drive. Who is the real Branco? Obviously the one recording it, because there can be only one. And this is something that is, of course, uh, generally... Uh, put aside in these science fiction questions and it's legitimate in the sphere of imagination but I noticed that a lot of people, young people take this to be a real question based on reality it is not based on reality because when we talk about persons when we talk about substances but particularly about persons <clears throat> the main uh, quality of person is its uniqueness and uniqueness is a very uh, peculiar form of a oneness. Oneness expresses certain individual. But in this sense, in that it doesn't primarily, and it doesn't primarily ex express uh, numerical division. Uh, that's something that is very hard to wrap your mind about, but it comes from medieval and ancient philosophy and theology, that oneness is not a quantifier. One is not a quantifier. It's not a number or the origin of number, or at least not only the origin or primarily origin of numbers. It is primarily origin of individual. And this individual in the context of person is based on uniqueness. It is one as unique one, not one, for instance, as numerical one. 
So when we say predrag is a substance, we mean predrag is a person, we mean also predrag is one, and we mean also predrag is unique. When I say cupboard is a substance, I mean cupboard is one, but cupboard is not a person. And each form of indivision that ex expresses is something quite different than what Predrag expresses, what we predicate to Predrag. Now, the other, now I hope you see how connected this is. But to get back to our example, I use the word consciousness. Uh, and this is, the, this is the word that is used to, uh, mostly used in the cyberpunk and posthumanism, uh, where it is. Uh, difference between ideology and uh, science fiction is erased because it's not not something that is to be surprised about because ideology has all the elements of science fiction uh, by its very nature especially if it's communist or leftist uh, consciousness can be only consciousness of something in both genitive objectivus and genitive subjectivus sense. Now I'm talking about declensions, it's something that is not really easy to understand when you come from English language, but I'll explain what I mean. Consciousness of something means that you have to be conscious of something. Consciousness of something also means that it has to be a consciousness belonging to someone. You cannot have it as original. It is not original phenomena. It being, not being original phenomena, it cannot be copied if it is de detached from its origin. And its origin is person. To be more exact, origin of awareness, insight is person. Origin of consciousness is more likely I. And there is a huge difference of being person and being I, as I has been understood in modern age. And I'll explain what I mean by this. So, uh, it is obvious, uh, you cannot be copied five times and be yourself, because you are not one anymore. You are more. Now, we have in psychological sense uh, this, this thing as uh, destruction of personality when, when one's psych psyche uh, compartmentalized and so such things happen, but this is not, psyche is not person. People don't understand, I'm sorry if I sound, uh, if I sound uh, full of myself when I say this, but I rarely encounter someone understanding that person is not psyche or I. It is far more than that. Th those are derivates from person. Those are acts of person, energies of person, operations of person, expressions or predications of, thereof, but not the person itself. It is very, and it's no wonder because it's very hard to talk about person. It is maybe arguably only possible to talk about it through, well, in my opinion, uh, uh, revelation. <laughs> <laughs> because it is being revealed as a person, as, as I understand it, is being revealed through a uh, unified uh, person of Jesus Christ, incarnation. But that's the story in itself. I always put that aside. 
just mention it because maybe once I'll gain courage to really talk about and write about it. But most likely write because this needs it needs certain uh, uh, certain care about details and. Uh, well, it has to be taken in a very methodical, slow manner. Now, what we gain from this example? Well, we come to understand, I believe, what person is not. That person indeed is one in some way, but indeed it is many. In other way, it cannot be just one person, because we talked about Pred. Predrag asks me a question. If Predrag was the only person in the world, he wouldn't ask me. Obviously, but we also noticed that substance is also one and many in some sense, and that substance in person are not complete synonymous, uh, excuse me, not completely equivalent. There is a substance to person, but there is no person, personhood to every substance, because cupboard as far as I can deduce from this cupboard I'm just looking at, doesn't have personality. Therefore, we have to get back to the roots, to Aristotle's categories, and say what the substance is. A substance is an answer to a question. And this question is TODE T. No, no, no sorry, TST. This means what is. The answer is some form of to the T, that. So, substance, or what Aristotle would call primary substance, is an answer to this question, what is it? Alternatively, he, he never had this, uh, the, the expression, who is it, is something also based upon it. But um, uh, the way uh, we talk about substance, it must be, what is it? Uh, an answer to this question gives a substance, and that substance can have certain qualities, can, have, uh, can be in certain number, can be in certain relation, can be in a lot of, in, in 10 modes, as Greeks would say, 10 categories. This is substance. Now, how can one come to this wrong conclusion that there is only one substance? Unfortunately, the best, uh, uh, the best thing would be to go into Spinoza and demonstrate how Spinoza comes to this idea. But uh, Spinoza's ethics, his main work, is very big, and I just don't have time reading it again, because you have to go through it to do injustice do him justice. So I will refer you to maybe I'll, to, to some internet YouTube expositions by academics on Spinoza. But Spinoza is a modern, already modern, let's say, and a philosopher at the dawn of modernity and his understanding of every term he uses is quite different than the understanding that I would use based on ancestry philosophical ancestry in which I operate. And Spinoza does not, as well as human Kant that Predrag mentions. Well, I'll try to give you my explanation without help of the examples of Spinoza. Namely, there is one uh, method in philosophy, in metaphysics, that is wrong, and it is considered by some of the 
most revered modern philosophers as Martin Heidegger to be uh, the illness that contaminated all the philosophy and is called ontotheology. Ontotheology uh, works on the premise that the only knowledge is knowledge of substance. Therefore, if we want to think one in many, what is one? What is being of all? We have to have a substance that will disclose this to us. That must be something what is. And this substance is then like an underlying subject, substratum, or hypokamenon in Greek, of all things. It's called ontotheology because when you take this one, the first, the original, you are in fact talking about in philosophical sense or even in theological, in, in, in this grammar, in logic of uh, talking about the origins, you are talking about God. So you kind of, what you do is uh, project something to be the first. And implication is that this is wrong because you cannot do that. You, uh, in a certain sense, reify what is not res, what is not a thing. You create it. You create the principle, illusion of principle through uh, your special approach to the world. And this is the meaning. So one substance. This is complete opposite of what traditionally was done in philosophy. It is demonstrable and some thinkers already in the 70s demonstrated how, for instance, Heidegger was wrong and how this was never the case, not only in Christianity, because in Christianity this is in fact impossible. But when it comes to philosophy, Neoplatonism, post-Plotinus and his... Uh, Descendants, let's call them spiritual descendants, uh, uh, never did that. And uh, what, what's more, they uh, uh, did a completely opposite. Because what is origin is not a substance in this sense. It is higher to some, uh, than substance because it is present in every substance. This is not... However, an origin of things, this is, we are not talking of, of God when, you are to, when we are talking on this one presence in all beings. We are talking about being. And there was a debate whether this being is rather a good or the truth that is present in all beings. But I think that being is the best example because it is the commonest uh, commonest qualifier. Now, we come to another term that is very important to understand, and this is term being. That in Greek is called uh, on, in Latin ens. There is another usage of the term being that in Greek means energia, or enai, uh, in Latin esse, and it is usually uh, a sign in das sign in, in, in German, uh, whereas being is seinde. It's not the same thing. And I'll explain you uh, why this is not terminological nitpicking. This is built completely on a reality and a reality that is accessible as you listen to me. 
So it's not something that you need to be esoterically initiated to, uh, to figure out, but it's difficult because it requires, requires effort. That is not only intellectual, but I would say moral effort to, to, to see this. Uh, now, being is the fact that, and I'll get back to this world fact, by the way, being is the fact uh, that uh, in every instance of knowing something, of uh, doing something, of, under uh, of something existing, we are talking about beings. Everything comes with is. That is to say, this is, uh, the copula, comes from something that is prior even to it. And this is something that is very hard to wrap your mind about in modern times, because in modern times, it is the general... Uh, the general idea is that this term being is, as Kant said, not a real predicate. Now we'll use this uh, wrong assumption of Kant, in my, wrong in my opinion, uh, to, to, to bring us to understanding what we mean by this very, very simple thing that is because <laughs> it's simple, so hard to figure out. How the being can be something that stands alone, that, that, is, uh, that can be uh, made to, to be understood, that, uh, for instance, both me, Predrag, and this cupboard have being, in some sense. This does not mean that we have some substance underlying us all. That would be, for instance, a good example of that, ontotheological uh, approach would be materialism and physicalism. That would say that we have underlying matter, but in, in, a, in a proper understanding, no underlying matter that is formed by, in this sense, cupboard or personality of Predrag or me, it, it is not the same. It, is, uh, it becomes materia signata. That is to say, it becomes matter that is formed uh, in accordance to the act to the energia that, that makes it a foreign matter. And when we talk about person, this is very important. In human beings, there is personal body. There is even personal ancestry, I would say. There is even uh, belonging to people, certain people, and so on. This is all entailed. This is like a material principle uh, in the person, to say with some qualifications. We won't go deep into that, but just to give you... A, a snack for thought. <laughs> so what Kant means? Well, Kant means that when we predicate being to something, when we make inference, uh, for instance, Predrag is being, we are saying nothing. It is completely correct to say this, but there is absolutely uh, no uh, addition to knowledge. It doesn't tell us anything else. And this comes uh, from the reason, the reason for this is that Kant is in fact an obverse, uh, inverted image of the philosophy as it was originally, at least in Middle Ages. And I think that, for my mind, this is this is this this uh, European, this I would say Western tradition, uh, West in a very strict sense of civilization, uh, is a bedrock of it. Tradition with big T, namely, originally. Predication does not mean signifying something. 
subject, putting subject and predicate together. It's not a verbal thing primarily. <clears throat> it is ontological. It is something that is present. When I say, for instance, Predrag is a person, what I did is that I expressed the mode of uh, Predrag's mode of being, the way the Predrag is. That is to say, Predrag is person. And this means also if I want, for instance, to uh, deposit my socks, I will choose rather cupboard than Predrag. It's a very uh, mundane example, but this is what it originally means. These are modes of being. And, but modes, this being, what is it then? And originally it was understood that it is a, it is a reality. It is a reality that is present in everything. Uh, for Kant, it is merely an a empty, empty name. And we will come to explain why this is, and conclude why this is so for Kant. It's very important. So originally, being is the first thing that falls upon mind, as scholastics would say. Falls upon mind has a very interesting meaning. It means that whatever, whenever something is thought of, there is something. You cannot think nothing. You can think of nothing only in terms of something. So, for instance, if you say that thing cannot be and not be in the same sense at the same time at the same instant, which is main uh, logical, uh, logical law, let's say axiom, in, in thinking about what is and what is not. The other side, that is what is not, is also such only in relation to being. So in order to have these, even these logical principles, <clears throat> there must be something before them. And this is being. And this is in some way understood by everybody in the sense that we are aware of it. We are always dealing with it because it is always present. But we don't know it initially. Only with insight, only with time, we come to know that it is in our origin, so to speak. <clears throat> As all things, we have to get back to it and get back to it personally, because thinking originally is something that in, in, encompasses far more or making pure logical inferences about imaginary problems, as is the case today, for instance. But it's an act of your life, when you're trying to comprehend who you are and why, what are you supposed to do, for instance? What is your purpose? This is thinking that gets you back to being. If you are Kantian, it will get you back to nothing. That is to say, it will get you back to I. Now, Predrag put his question under the first episode of this questions and answers session, uh, inflating <laughs> the number of questions from the original one that was conceived to be only questions on previous subjects. This is a question upon question, and this question was upon my podcast where I talk about uh, metaphysical ego and so on. 
Well, Kant is the one of progenitors of this metaphysical ego. Uh, who invented it? It's hard to say. They usually put forward Descartes. But you have to know one thing about me. I don't subscribe to opinion that you can take an idea of a philosopher and consider it to be the cause of history. That is to say, reduce everything to one individual or one individual cause and then you have the answer why things went wrong, for instance, or went right. I, it is very tempting for philosopher to do that, but a philosopher who, who, who happens to live in a real world should know that this is not how history unfolds. This kind of knowledge would be prophetic knowledge. And therefore, I keep my mouth shut because prophet I am not. And prophecy is coming from a different source than philosophy. It comes from the source that is literally hyperzion above being. So let's put that aside. Anyway, <clears throat> Kant says that being means nothing. But this doesn't mean that Kant thinks that there is nothing in the beginning of this world and this knowledge, something that is common to all. What is common to all, Kant says, is I. Everything that is has to be synthesized in knowledge into one uh, system of representations. And it is possible only in the way that there is something that is common. And this commonness is that all knowledge reflects back into I, the knowledge of the subject. Because Kant works for the, from the subject-object split that is not present in Middle Ages. Thinker like Thomas Aquinas, by the way, yesterday was feast of St. Thomas Aquinas. <clears throat> Hope he's doing well. I'm certain he is. Um, in Kant, however, we have a different thing. So Kant, Kant, what Kant is saying is that there is no being, literally, being does not exist, uh, phenomena exist, things that appear to conscious subject, there is an idea of the thing in itself about which we can know nothing. That is to say, thing, to put it in mundane terms, but true terms, thing that is independent of our knowledge. Because in Kant's theory, in Kant's metaphysic, uh, things are formed by forms of knowledge, by forms of intuition that are time and space. I have a series on Kant, so you can check it out. And uh, categories of reason, because in Kant, categories are not anymore ontological determinations of being, but subjective determinations of being. And everything comes back to I. Now, why this happens? Well... I was talking about being as a fact. You know what where factum comes from? It's a thing done, thing made, thing in the last analysis created. The philosophers who took being as ever present in their philosophy were and who uh, were philosophers uh, who started from assumption that this world is created indeed. And Kant starts from this assumption also. 
although Kant uh, claims to start philosophy without assumption, his idea of transcendental philosophy, or the, uh, that is to say, introductory work to transcendental philosophy, which is critic of pure mind, uh, is an attempt to just use a kind of transcendental reflection, as he would call it, intuitive uh, self-description of human knowledge that will give us at the same time uh, the metaphysical structure of the world. Because one is not, we cannot divide one from another. This is completely obverse of what, for instance, transcendental philosophy originally was. It is inversion of it. Very strange thing. And it doesn't start from no assumption because Kant, as I wrote in one article of mine, uh, Kant always used uh, this word given. And this word given uh, is of how, uh, how the object, for instance, he said, how the object is given to us. Well, who does the giving? Well, it's simple. God does the giving because this was the original meaning. Original philosophy of being, uh, that is to say original transcendental philosophy, let's call it that, was subsumed under revelation. Not idea of revelation, but the factum of revelation. And it always used this uh, assumption without ever shying from it. On the other hand, we had in ancient philosophy something different, something that was basically very similar in a sense that it uh, came to conclusions without help of revelation in Aristotle, in Platon and such philosophers. But it never developed to this. It never developed, in a word, it never developed a notion of person. Christianity was given this notion. It is a notion that comes from the act of incarnation, not from ideal of incarnation, from the act. This is given to people. Now Kant also uses given, but he transforms it. And who does the giving? I'll tell you exactly who does the giving. Man himself. This is something that Kant would not accept because he was a religious man. He was an extremely intelligent man and he was most important thing, unbelievably precocious thinker. He was always, never quick to jump to conclusions. And this saved a lot of his philosophy to have value today. That made him great. He, he's the man who was made great by his moderation. It's very, he was, a, he was a genius, a radical of moderation in thinking. Although he was also a radical enlightenment thinker. <clears throat> So this I, what is it? Well, it is consciousness. And now we resolve everything to the stars. This is the consciousness. This is a necessary awareness of everything that comes to pass. If this awareness would sleep for a moment, the world will disappear. The world would disappear. And there were thinkers after Kant who really understood this in this way. Uh, Schopenhauer, to some extent, being one of them. Uh, and this is what you have with these cyberpunks trivialities that are understood as, for instance, as, as, as deep philosophical questions. They are not deep philosophical questions, but they are built upon deep precipice of philosophical error that is called modern and God save us from it, postmodern philosophy. Being is exchanged for I. 
being is exchanged for consciousness and person is exchanged for I. Now, of course, I'm generalizing here because we are already far past half an hour. But So I have to generalize, but I must put forward that I write a lot about this on Kali Tribune. And Mihai also does, maybe not concentrated so much on this problem, but it, it all dovetails in one another. It's all intermingled together, <clears throat> things we write or talk about. Uh, so, as you see, there is not one su substance in this world. There is one being in this world, and this being to end what what to explain what it is. It is the first act of creation, not in temporary sequence, but it is the fact that everything is created. This is the fact that everything is a fact, a given that everything is given, and what you understand from being once you realize it, once you kind of like intuitively bring it into your mind. First thing you'll realize that it, your mind, yourself, uh, you are immersed in it. There is no difference. It's very hard to explain this. Uh, uh, it is the fact that you are, the things are, everything are. This is this are, is. It is present in everything. And nothing is divided from it. Therefore, there is no, you cannot kind of like divide subject and object. Me and outer world. This becomes completely irrelevant in this in this instance, because this is original instance, everything is created. And so as Thomas Aquinas said, we don't realize uh, that God created this world from this or that. We realize this from being itself, from creation itself. There is one act of creation in all. It, it is present. And being is the thing that can be known by humans from this act of creation in this natural way without help of uh, prayer and such things. That you can have these insights and even people who are not Christians came to this, but not in this sense. This is how Christian transcendental thought understand this. I won't go into that too much because this is already going off the subject into deep waters but this is what i meant to say and this one provides you with a lot of unique substances but it is not substance itself it cannot be known in this uh, uh, kind of knowledge that you make it an object it is presence the best way to express it is presence or uh, even better and this was used in middle ages it is the light into which everything is. Not the highest light, mind you, let us not go too far, but light nevertheless. <clears throat> what we have in, in, in modern days, in, in, in people like these uh, cyberpunkers, we have virtual light, we have inversion of it. So that would be, dear my dear Predrag, that would be my answer. It was quite a long podcast oh yeah here we come to 40 minutes and but this is when you uh, put forward a seemingly simple question thank you for your attention hope this was satisfactory this is Branko Malic signing out